Good morning. We're glad that you're here. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together today. We're very thankful for the many visitors we have. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're so thankful for the number of visitors that come each week. And to those that have placed membership that have been looking for church homes, we gladly welcome here. It may be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we want to invite you to consider the work here. We need you. And not only do we need you, we want you. And I know that the elders would be more than happy to answer any questions that you might have about the work that is ongoing here. We're grateful to have a lot of good young people. We've got a lot of seasoned veter veterans, I guess I might say. And I think we have a lot to offer. And we want you to be a part of the work here. We're going to be looking today at the 10th chapter of the book of Mark. Specifically, we want to look at verses 23 through 30 as we think about the theme, serving the Lord has its rewards. I'm convinced that being a child of God has its blessings. As a matter of fact, it is a tremendous privilege to be a Christian. And there are a lot of intrinsic blessings associated with being a child of God of being a member of the body of Christ. But to know that if I serve the Lord and live for him, that I have a reward that awaits me, that is indeed incentive enough. Some years ago, there was a credit card company that advertised quite frequently on television and they would oftentimes express the phrase, membership has its privileges. Well, from the vantage point of being a child of God, membership has its privileges. It's a tremendous privilege to be a Christian. As we look at our text today, I want us to look at verses 23 through 30, as I said a moment ago. I want to begin by talking about the risk of riches, and then we're going to talk about the reality of a reward. As we think about the risk of riches, of course, we're talking primarily about the danger, the inherent danger of riches. And I guess maybe I ought to preface this by saying there's nothing wrong with being rich. There were many rich people spoken of in Scripture. Abraham, for example, was a very wealthy man. And the Bible tells us that he was the friend of God. Well, as we look at our text, we have what I would call the would-be disciple. And this really takes us back to verses 17 through 22, a text that we looked at last week in our study, where a rich young ruler came to Jesus and wanted to know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, of course, referenced the commandments. He said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The young man replied by saying, all of these have I kept or observed from my youth. Then Jesus said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Now Mark tells us in verse 22 
that this man was sad at his word and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And so here is the would-be disciple. And it's really based on this context that Jesus now summons a warning to the disciples. Listen, if you would, to what he said. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there is an important statement made by Jesus here regarding riches. And that is those who trust in riches. You see, there are some that trust in their wealth, somewhat like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That was said of the Pharisees over in Luke 18. Now, listen, if you would, to what Jesus says in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus here uses a figure of speech known as hyperbole. And really all that term means is an exaggeration. And Jesus is trying to drive home a point that those who trust in their riches, those who pride themselves in their wealth, he said it's very difficult for them to become children of God. Let me just ask this question. Why is it that riches can be such a snare to life? In other words, why can riches sometimes derail our faith or maybe our would-be faith? Let me just give you some reasons. Number one, riches can lead to misplaced affection. I think when you look at the rich young ruler, obviously his affections were here on earth. The Bible says he was very wealthy. He went away grieved because he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to part with what God had entrusted him with in the long ago. You know, the Bible talks a lot about placing our treasures in heaven and not here on earth. Sometimes people have a have a problem because what they want to do is literally tie their wagon to the world. In Colossians chapter 3 at verse 2, Paul would say, set your mind or set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Jesus would say, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. There are a lot of folks, what they're doing is building for the here and now. It's all about the here and now. Their affections, their sights, everything is right here. And so riches can sometimes lead to misplaced affections. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9? He said, those that are minded to be who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Money, material goods are not intrinsically evil. 
But if we allow those things to become a God, if we serve the almighty dollar, if we become so consumed with the here and now, then we've got a problem. There's a second thing. And that is sometimes riches can lead to a misuse of our assets. In other words, what we do, it's all about us. It's all about what I want. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? He said, charge them that are rich in this present world. Not to trust in themselves, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. What God wants us to do is to use the wealth, the blessings that he has so richly given us to the benefit and blessings of others. Now, can we use the things that we enjoy for our own purposes and pleasures? Yes. There are certain things that we enjoy because God has blessed us, materially speaking. But rather than hoard those things and store up, what the Lord wants us to do is to be a good steward. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 2, that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. Just a minute ago, we had the opportunity to give. We do this every first day of the week. We give not grudgingly or out of necessity. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. We give for the advancement of the cause of Christ. We give so that the elders can use the funds that we give to preach the gospel, to help the needy, to do a lot of things. And sometimes people misuse what God has blessed them with. And then there is a third thing. And that is, sometimes riches lead to a mistaken attitude. Now, listen again to what Jesus said. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 22, children. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. There are some things that riches, wealth, or money just can't do. For example, riches can buy a house, but they can't buy a home. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have a house to live in. They have a roof over their head. They don't have a home. Look at their lives. Their lives are in disarray, they're constantly bickering and fighting. There's division, there's enmity, there's jealousy. There are all kinds of problems in that home and one of the reasons is because that home hasn't been built on the Lord. The psalmist said, except we build on the Lord. Those who labor, labor in vain in Psalm 127 at verse one. There are a lot of people in our world today I will freely grant they have a house to live in, but they don't have a home. There are children. Sadly, they do not have a mama that loves them. They don't have a mama that cares about them. They don't have a daddy that cares about them. There are some children today, they don't even know who their daddy is. Now you want to talk about deadbeat, Mamas and daddies, we got a world full of them. 
Now, your money, it can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Riches can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. There are a lot of people in our world, there are a lot of people in our country, they've got a bank full of money. They've got a pocket full of money. But you know what? They can't sleep at night for the life of them. The psalmist in Psalm 127 talks about God who gives his beloved sleep. Did you know that there are some people, what they would give for a good night of sleep? I don't care how much money you have. You may have all the money in the world, but if you can't sleep at night, what's that, what's that money going to do for you? Now, there are some folks that self-medicate, and there are some people that will take tranquilizers and sleeping pills, etc., so that they can sleep at night. And it may be that they are so consumed with anxiety and worry, and some people are so worried about what they have and losing what they have, they can't sleep at night. So riches. Riches can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Riches can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Let me give you a third thing. Riches can buy medicine, but it can't buy you good health. In Mark chapter 5, we read about a lady a woman that Mark said had an issue of blood. In other words, she had some type of blood disorder. She had been grappling with this blood disease for many years. And Mark said when she had spent all, here is a lady that spent what she had, materially speaking, to try to get her physical life back in order. Guess what? The doctors didn't have an answer. They couldn't help her. So she turned to the great physician, Jesus. You may have a pocket full of money. You may have a bank account that knows no end. But if you have a terminal illness or some kind of disease, how much good is that money going to do you? Not going to help you, is it? Let me tell you a fourth thing that riches can't do. Riches can buy you stuff, but it can't buy you satisfaction. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you ask them, what do you need? They don't need anything. If you were to ask them, what do you want? Their response I don't want anything. I've got everything that I need materially. I remember several years ago sitting at a breakfast table with an older couple. And the gentleman at the table made an interesting remark, at least I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, I can't think of one thing that I want. Not one thing. He said, when I was a younger man, he said, I always wanted something whether it's a gun or whatever. He said, there was always something I wanted. He said, but I'm at a point in time in my life where I've got everything I want. I just don't need anything, don't want anything. Well, there are a lot of folks, if you, were to, if you were to go to their home, their barns are full, so to speak. They've got everything, but they don't have anything. They have a lot of stuff, but they don't have any satisfaction. What do you mean? 
I mean, they've got a lot materially. They've got it all. But ask them, are you really happy? Are you really content? Are you really satisfied with your life? Their answer is a resounding no. Go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at Solomon. Let me ask you this. What did Solomon lack in his life? He had wisdom. He had power. He had prestige. He had money. This guy had everything. But there was something missing, wasn't there? Solomon literally placed life under a microscope. He went into what we would call a laboratory and began to run his test. His conclusion was the summation of life. It's not stuff. It's not things. It's not money. It's not material possessions. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole. This is man's all. That's what life is about. And there are a lot of folks that miss that. Now, let me call your attention to the disciples' disturbance over riches, over what Jesus had to say about riches. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, and they were astonished beyond measure. In other words, it blew their mind. You see, there are a lot of people that equate riches to God's favors. There, there are a lot of people in our world today, they have the idea that if you do everything right, God will lavish upon you a lot of blessings, a lot of riches, etc. If you don't do what you need to be doing, if you don't do what's right, then the opposite will occur. In Psalm 73, the psalmist faced a dilemma in life. He couldn't understand why the godly seemed to have, have it so tough in life and the wicked seemed to have everything they wanted. Well, these men, they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying here. They were astonished beyond measure. And so they asked the question, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. I think one of, the, one of the things that Jesus was saying here is that in terms of rich, riches cannot buy your salvation. You can't buy it. It's not up for sale. Furthermore, it takes the truth of God. It takes people delving into the word of God and realizing, hey, this is what life's all about coming to an understanding that faith is imperative, that I've got to live a life of faith, that I've got to live a life of submission to the will of God, that I've got to be willing to, to put my life under his authority. Sometimes from a human vantage point, we think about where people are in their lives. And some, sometimes we, we look at the lives of people and we say, how in the world could they ever be saved? Do not underestimate the power of God's word. Through the word of God, Jesus said, people can turn their lives around. That's what Paul said, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation 
The Hebrew writer said that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I want us to think in the second place about the reality of a reward. As we look at verses 28 through 30, we have, first of all, an acknowledgement by Peter. Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. I think really what, what, what Peter was saying in the long ago is, Lord, we have first and foremost forsaken all. And then secondly, we are following you. We're doing our dead level best to live for you. Now, underneath this, another question emerges. And that is, what's in it for us? I mean, Lord, we've walked away from everything. Go back and read the call of Peter and Andrew and James and John. They left all and immediately followed the Lord. We talk about following Jesus, forsaking all to follow Jesus. Have we forsaken all to follow Jesus? Was it not Jesus that said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me? Self-denial, a willingness to submit all to the Son of God, to live for him on a daily basis. So, we have the acknowledgement of Peter and the assurance by Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 29. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Let me just pause there and say this. Peter is asking the question, Lord, what's in it for us? We've forsaken all, we're following you, so what are we going to get out of it? If somebody were to ask you point blank today, so you say I need to become a Christian, you say I need to be a member of the church, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Let me tell you, here's what you can get out of being a Christian today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. We talk about serving Jesus, what we can get out of Christianity right now. There are some blessings that are in Christ available to all today. What are they? Number one, forgiveness. If you miss forgiveness, you miss it all. Christianity is about redemption. It's about the forgiveness of sins. When the church began on Pentecost Day, those people assembled in Jerusalem, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In other words, so that you can be forgiven. What person doesn't need forgiveness in our world? Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can be forgiven. I don't care where you are in this life, you can be forgiven. Look at Paul. Paul was a persecutor. Paul, Paul had a lot of folks put to death. 
because of their allegiance to Christ. So in short, he was a murderer. Look at the people in Corinth. People that lived immorally, ungodly, unrighteously. And yet Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. To know that when I contact the blood of Christ, every sin is washed away. To know that I can be forgiven, I can be redeemed, I can stand before Almighty God, pure and just. There's a second blessing that we enjoy, and that is fellowship. We enjoy fellowship with God and with one another. When John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, he said that the things that they had seen and heard, they were declaring to those people in the first century that they might enjoy fellowship, not just with other saints, but with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be in full fellowship with God's people. Jesus here talks about those who have left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and wife and children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Here are people that have walked away from their earthly family. But by becoming a Christian, we have a larger extended family, a spiritual family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. We are a part of a larger community. We're a part of the family of God, which is a third blessing. To know that I am a part of the household of God, that I belong to the Lord, that I'm a part of the church. In Acts 2, verse 42, it was said of those people in the first century, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Some of those people in the first century may have been ostracized for their faith in the Lord. And yet they enjoyed a broader fellowship, a larger family. And so those are some of the things that we enjoy as Christians. And then there's another blessing. And that is in God, in Christ, we have a fortress. When you think about a fort, what comes to mind? I think about I think about being sheltered from the enemy. The psalmist in Psalm 18 said in the long ago, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. And then he said about God. He said, you are my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I will trust. God is a fortress. Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Listen, you've been made in the image and likeness of God. You belong to the king. Do you not think he cares about you? God cares for you. And then there is what I would call the fullness of life. The psalmist in Psalm 36 at verse 8 talks about how God will bless us abundantly in the treasures of his house. In other words, we'll enjoy satisfaction as his people. I said a moment ago, you may have everything this world has to offer, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy. doesn't mean you're going to be content. doesn't mean you're going to have this satisfied, contented feeling. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Where was Paul's contentment? It was in Christ. Now, those are just some of the blessings we enjoy now, right now. But what about the blessings of having follow Jesus. In other words, when it's all said and done, when life comes to a crashing end, 
What's in it for me? Listen to what Jesus said. And in the age to come, eternal life. If you miss that, you miss everything. Why is it we live for the Lord? Why is it we live day in and day out for Jesus? Why do we suffer persecutions and heartaches and trials and tribulations? Why are we willing to go the extra mile? Because we understand. At the end of the road, there's something far better than this world has to offer. Jesus asked a question many years ago. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me ask you this. If you have everything this world has to offer, look at that rich young ruler. He had it all. He had it all, but he had nothing. If you have the world, but you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. If you have Jesus, you have everything. We sing the song, he is my everything. I want to encourage you, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, I want to, I want to plead with you. We are right here at the end of the year. If you want to start the new year off right, why not start it off with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, there are some folks I'm not saying this to be overly dramatic, but there are some folks, you and I know it well, they'll never live to see 2013. Last night, Nancy and I went to the funeral home. As many of you know, Nancy Stampley's daughter-in-law passed away, 43 years old. 43. Let me tell you, that's young. 43 three years old. You think she was planning for the holidays? Think she was planning for the new year? I suspect she was. She's in eternity. Twenty years ago, I talked to a man about becoming a Christian during the holiday season. And he told me, point blank, he said, after the first of the year, I'll be ready to sit down and talk. His daughter spoke up. And she said, Daddy, if you'll become a Christian, he, she said, that'd be the best Christmas present you could ever give me. I baptized him that day. He never lived to see the new year. I got a call early Saturday morning before the new year. His daughter was hysterical. He'd been to the barbershop to get a haircut. Left the barbershop, hit by another automobile, and killed in eternity. Had he waited, all would have been lost. No hope. But he was a Christian. I say that to simply say to you, we have no idea what a day will bring forth. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. That's what Paul said. Not tomorrow, not next, not next week, not next year, today. Have you been baptized into Christ? 
If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, today is that day. Don't leave here thinking you've got another day. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. If you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, I would plead with you today. Make it right. I mean, why take a chance? Why, why step out into eternity unprepared to meet God? The Bible says confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We would be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.